not because. The creaking of the stairwell slices through the empty silence of the late night, free to weave itself within the various rooms and resting atmosphere. I take care to mimic the air's stillness with my slow steps, weighted by the dizziness of sleep deprivation and poor night vision. Agnostic prayers that my mother's snores remain consistent whisper themselves into existence, my fear that I'll have to explain why I'm awake at this feverish hour growing with each creak. I take two steps from the bottom of the stairs to my bathroom, closing the door behind me and letting out a breath I didn't realize I was holding. The demanding voice of my optometrist replaces the meek voice of my prayers. Don't keep your contacts in for more than 12 hours. It'll be 24 if I don't switch them out now, as my mental list of ever-present to-do so graciously reminds me. The sink drawer slides open to reveal what my dry eyes are yearning for. I widen my eyes as much as I can, holding my finicky monolid open while the coolness of the lens presses up against my strained corneas. This sole form of ritualistic self-care that I grant myself offers brief comfort, the relief always temporary. You don't have time to do that, is always quick to stifle any thought divergent from schoolwork. The expected whoosh of the opening door swinging through empty air is cut short as it thumps abruptly against muscle. The dark hairs at the nape of my neck rise with my heart rate. It's five in the morning, who the hell is awake? Barely brings itself to existence outside of my mind, knowing better than to drag such blasphemy into this Christian household. I take a half step out through the doorframe, coming face to face with my father. My mind, worn down by years of his abrupt mood swings and unexpected fits of anger, stirs cautiously, dissociation preparing its host for the passive-aggressive why-aren't-you-asleep that experience has accustomed it to. The soft, whispery, almost sympathetic tone that makes its way around the door disturbs the defensive preparations that lingered milliseconds away from entering into motion. Off guard, I hesitate at first, before mumbling back, midterms, the weight of my voice sinking from mind-numbing burnout. I hear a sigh. Long-running poor communication assures me it's a good one. I'm not getting scolded tonight. A hug follows. The rarity behind such a display of affection holds my heart in an elevated pause. My defenses hesitate to lower themselves, wrought with confusion over this unexpected gesture. Reassured by a tight squeeze, I reciprocate with a conscious relaxing of my shoulders. The tension eases away, and I hug him back, grateful for this precious moment of physical contact. Nothing is said, but even so, I have to will the tears back just for long enough that they won't be felt through the sleeve of his flannel shirt. Of the four songs in my life, there are three solos. From the moment of my first breath, the ancient tune of Chinese soaked itself into the crevices of my brain matter, planted and preserved by the words of my parents. To their disappointment, I've lost most of my ability to sing it today, but nonetheless, I still recognize the lines when I hear them. English, however, is a tune I know inside and out, first introduced to me in the colorful walls of my preschool, and mastered, up until a year ago, in the brightly lit classrooms of pre-pandemic university. The final solo, French, is a lost song I never finished learning once the burden of foreign language requirements dissipated from my academic life. The fourth is my love song, 
physical touch, and the only duet in my portfolio. Rarely heard in my family's chamber of music, I've only discovered pieces of the song from the precious moments when the tune is offered to me. Even incomplete, it's my favorite melody. The chilling periods of its absence isolate me to the reliance of my bed's comforting embrace or the warm kiss of the shower water, both mere covers of the song I truly want to hear. These days, as illness and restrictions muffle its sweet lines, I long for this duet, clinging onto the precious snippets of the song that I may be lucky enough to hear from the solo specialists around me. My mother is a strictly recreational singer. Her smooth voice filters into the air as rarely as her displays of physical affection. My father, on the other hand, struggles to understand hugs and kisses just as he fails to replicate any sort of rhythm or beat. A match made in heaven, I guess. A lack of physical affection was just one of the many familial issues that I used to blame on my Chinese heritage. Frustration with my Asian tiger parents dominated my turbulent adolescence. I seethed at my parents' overprotectiveness, spending hours ranting to my friends about how insane it was that I couldn't date yet, or sleep over someone's house, or hang out with my guy friends alone. As the eldest, I remained a model of obedience within the home, repressing the layers of my outspoken and dramatically rebellious self under silent tears and inner cheeks chewed raw. As the eldest daughter of immigrants, it was of utmost importance that I only sing for my parents on every stage in society that necessitated an English solo. While I used to sing willingly, I now sing out of responsibility. This is a common narrative, an increasingly universal experience in this country, and one that I know I'm not a unique voice in. Why then must I speak? Why must I write? Why must I testify? Call me selfish, but I have to. For myself, for my heritage, for the person I want to be, I have to. If my family won't sing with me, I'll sing by myself. In the three days that I've allowed midterms to take over my life, I've consciously refrained from checking any social media, pulling all-nighters to write mediocre papers instead. Somehow, three days later, I'm finding out that eight people were shot to death in Atlanta on Tuesday. While I almost killed myself trying to understand how the hell St. Augustine and Freud were related, a mass shooting was trending on Twitter. Is it sad that I've been desensitized to this? Just asking that shows you everything wrong with how America deals with its problems. Surprise, it doesn't. In records released to USA Today, police say a caller reported Long had been kicked out of his parents' home the day before the shooting and was emotional. You're fucking kidding me. Emotional? That's the best explanation you can offer to the families of these victims? You're going to tell the eight-month-old daughter of Delena Yuan that her mother was shot to death because some psychopath got a little emotional? Bullshit. Absolutely bullshit. The shooter was one year older than me. What 21-year-old do you know would be driven to shoot and kill on their emotional days? Is taking the life of innocent people supposed to be therapeutic now? No. It's sick. Fucked up in more ways than I can count, and I can't even do anything about it. How do we reconcile with the fact that mass shootings have declined recently because of the pandemic? Lockdown, of all things, has been this country's most effective way of preventing mass shootings. Explain to me, too, why politicians think their work ends when they've tweeted thoughts and prayers. 
These representatives of the people, these instigators of justice, the only people who can enact any legal change in the threads of society, are sitting in offices just stormed three months ago, tweeting. Even more sad, the monotony of these events. I'm going to come back to this in six days after another mind-numbingly week of online school with a mere whisper of the anger I feel now. I don't want that to happen, but I know it's going to because it does every time. People get upset, repost pretty infographics, and put on their activism hats for a few days before returning to their privileged lives. Don't get me wrong, though. I'm just as complacent in this monotony. I'm not better than anyone else simply because my race identifies me with the victims this time. I'm an Asian American woman. This is what the internet says about me. The current moment defines me as a victim. What will I be when this moment passes, then? The state of being a victim doesn't just disappear when the trending hashtags do. The mark of societal prejudice won't vanish from my identity when public outrage inevitably dies down. I move on from this moment a different person than I entered it as. Am I reinforcing stereotypes when I write about my familial problems? What about my strict parents and my immigrant sob story? Or my eldest daughter trauma, perhaps? No. This is my experience. It cannot be stereotyped. Human experience cannot be stereotyped. If society won't sing for me, I'll write a fifth song, and I'll sing it for all of us. Composed in an age of discrimination amidst fleeting hashtags and muffled voices, a song of experience, one that I'll never forget. I have strict parents because I have strict parents, not because I'm Asian. I'm smart because I'm smart, not because I'm Asian. I'm individualistic because I'm individualistic, not because I'm American. I'm a hard worker because I'm a hard worker, not because I'm American. I'm compassionate because I'm compassionate, not because I'm a woman. I'm confident because I'm confident, not because I'm a woman. I stand with other Asians, other Americans, and other women. I'm an Asian American woman because I am.